I'm good, sir. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Uh, thanks for checking in to another episode of the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, John Saxon, and today we have story time with Mr. Steve Nowak. Uh, we are actually on location at Highway 55 Burger Spot for some reason, because during this whole craziness, we couldn't find a place to actually sit down that was quiet. So uh, this was actually an old Andy's Hamburger Spot, which is a Greenville, North Carolina local spot that was the spot for bmx mecca back in the day and uh we thought it'd be kind of fitting with the whole the whole thing going on so steve thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me out so uh i guess uh i've I've known you for a while and i think one of the reasons that we kind of this whole thing kind of came to play is because we were just sitting around telling stories at one of the contests we had and you were just telling these awesome stories and i said i have to start recording some of these and you're like let's do it so it was meant to be the next time we got together we were going to do it so uh i'm full of stories that's for sure i know you are and i actually called everyone that i could to try to get a little background just to get some some ready to go in the in the can ready to ask you i have some from laird i have some nyquist uh (laughs) lee was chimed in a little bit but uh but i'm excited to to get some greenville dirt so i guess give us a little bit of a history of of your background with going to greenville and being in greenville with the whole crew and all and i guess where bmx started for you i guess so late 80s uh i grew up in the detroit area and uh my buddies all rode bmx i didn't i kind of just hung out with them my brother actually got into it before i did and in uh, spring of 88 i went with my friends to the king of Vert in flint michigan and actually bumped into Matt Hoffman when he was 16 years old. Got to see Dennis McCoy live. And that was kind of like an eye-opener for me. Um, about two months before that, I went with my buddy to the contest. Albies was putting on. And I saw the Ozone team. And uh, Jeff Carter, Jeff Cotter, sorry, did a bunny hop foot plant on the judges' table. And I thought that was the raddest thing. I was like, wow. And this is like 80s. That is awesome. So it was the beginning of the street era. And... I went to King of Vert a couple, week, couple months later, and then two weeks after the King of Vert, we moved to Greenville, North Carolina. And that was a big culture shock for me because I knew nobody there. I didn't really do anything. I didn't do team sports. And I got stuck in a high school in my junior year not knowing anybody. So my brother skated, and my mom said, well, we're moving to Greenville, and they're building a skate park there. And the park actually opened up that year so. There you go. Little, we appreciate it. Shout out to our waitress. Oh yeah, at, uh, Highway got, the, got the burgers showing up now. Got the burgers and the food showing up. This is uh, this is a first for me, by the way, Steve. Doing one on location in a crowded restaurant. Well, you know, with the uh, virus and the the uh, riots and everything, we got a good, nice, safe place here. I think so. I guess so. I guess uh, the only the only trouble we're going to have is the mess I'm about to make after this hamburger and the uh, the milkshake. Well, that's all. That's all for you later. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Sorry to. Sorry that we got a. We had a little timeout, a little uh. delay. But uh, so, what were you saying about the contest? So, went to the King of Vert in Michigan, and two weeks later, I moved to North Carolina, where I knew nobody, knew nothing, and my brother skated, and I actually had a a BMX bike I found in a guy's front yard in Michigan. So hold on, just to pause you for a second. You were moving there anyway to North Carolina? My my dad got a job transfer, so we were moving. Okay. Just all of a sudden, like, literally got a phone call from my mom while I was in school in Michigan. 
your dad got a job in North Carolina. We're moving in three weeks. And it was just like end of the world. So ended up down there. Uh, my brother skated, and my parents kind of did some research in the town and found out they were building a skate park in Greenville and that was scheduled to open late in December of 88. So we had that kind of look forward to for my brother more than me. J.C. Park, then we're talking Park. about. J.C. Park. And uh, ended up getting down there, and like I said, I had a uh, BMX bike. All my friends had, like, hutches and dinos. I found a, uh, a chrome Ross laying in a guy's front yard. I rode a mountain bike because I had a Detroit newspaper route. Carried this BMX bike five miles on my shoulder, <laughs> on my mountain bike, back to my house, fixed it up, and that was my first technical BMX bike. So I brought that to North Carolina with me. Uh, went back to Michigan after a month to get my driver's license because I had a Michigan permit, and I snapped the frame in half riding street when I was there, and came back and got my first bike, which was a Mongoose Decade, actual bike shop bike from the bicycle post in Greenville. Wow, that's awesome. I guess this is one of the things that is impressive to me, that you're not from Greenville. Like There's, there's only a couple guys. I'm trying to think that are original Greenville guys. I think Harrington, Josh Harrington. Josh Harrington's OG. Uh, Mike Mancuso technically is OG. Um, Don Wygent is not. He lived there of many, many years, but he's actually from the Detroit area as well. Oh, is he really? Oh, okay. Crazy. So I guess that's one thing that I'm excited to hear some of the stories because you've literally seen Greenville, which for some of the people that aren't familiar with Greenville and BMX and things like that, I would imagine a majority of the people listening to this are, but for the people that aren't, Greenville uh, at one point in time, for a long period of time, was Mecca for BMX. It was BMX Mecca. So if you rode BMX and you were trying to compete and and get better, and even if you weren't, even if you want to just hang out like if you wanted to go have fun, there were there was at one point in time no less than fifty to seventy five, almost pro level bike riders in that town of all different levels. Some of the top dudes that are winning X Games and those contests, all the way down to dudes that are just that you still see in magazines, but that wouldn't be big time pros, I guess. And it was it was the place to be. And for a little while. I, I was starstruck. I went there, and I was just like, this is crazy, all these people. But it's awesome that you were able to see that from the beginning. So how was that? I mean, looking back and kind of knowing now what you – knowing now, basically, obviously you didn't know then what was to come. But looking back, that must have been just such an awesome experience to grow up in that environment and see the entire evolution. I mean, it it changed my life. No other way to look at it than, you know, I was just – I was the kid in school that was last picked for every team sport. Like, I was the one you had to have on your team for whatever. And it went from that to being, you know, here I am traveling around the United States and going to contests and competing, you know, quote-unquote professionally. Uh, And, you know, just uh, to see it from that. But literally in 93, I was by myself. Like, I was riding every night by myself watching a video, and that was the first year I started going to the Hoffman comps. I'd go there and see stuff, I'd see a video, and I'd have to go and ride the crappy mini ramp we had left at the park and just try and learn tricks just by seeing that, riding by myself. Right, which is which has got to be hard, especially at a time like that where there aren't a whole lot of magazines or videos or it's not really mainstream on TV yet, so you're, you're kind of at a point where you're kind of... It might help you, too, because it 
makes BMX yours as opposed to seeing somebody else do a trick and then you're just replicating that kind of stuff, which has got its place as well, but it kind of gave you your own style and it made BMX yours. And that's the whole thing with freestyle and that kind of thing as well. Yeah, I wouldn't say I have any style. Uh, <laughs> well, Laird, Laird used to call me cardboard. Um, <laughs> style can be relative, it's, it's gotten I guess. Better. Actually, I've gotten a little more stylish as I got older, I think, because uh, it's kind of smoothed myself out just to prevent myself from being hurt. But it was the point where I knew some people, um, like to give you mentioned uh, Lee Ramsdale earlier. Lee was the first person I ever stood on the deck of a ramp and saw do an air. Like, I had been to that King of Vert, but I was down in the crowd. Right. And I got a trip to Lee Ramsdale. They had an eight-foot pink halfpipe in Havelock, North Carolina. And Don and those guys took me down there, and I saw Lee do airs. And, like, he could go six, seven, eight feet, doing bar hops, 540s, and I was just starstruck. Wow. And then a year later, I got to ride with John Byers for the first time. And then John and I became really good friends, so that's who I would go and ride at his house and see somebody ride Vert for real and... Yeah, so I had some of those early influences like that that were technically mega stars, but I didn't look at it like oh, that. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, those were those were the guys back then. So seeing them in person, riding with them on a more personal level where you're not necessarily trying to... I, I guess that must have been just awe-inspiring because at that time there were a lot less riders, whereas nowadays it's almost the market is almost saturated because there are so many people. So it's not... I wouldn't say it's as big of a deal to see see these big-time pros, but back then when there's only a small handful of them, seeing one of them in real life has got to be game-changer for you. I mean, when I started competing at the Hoffman Contest in 93, the pro class was eight or ten guys. That was it. And that was guys from around the world. That right. wasn't just Americans. That right. was the top guys from all around the world. There's eight or ten of them in the pro class. It was like an elite deal. And to see those guys in person, you were still just like, oh, man, you know, it's, it's Jay Miron, it's Matt Hoffman, it's Dave Mira, you know. Right. And you see that now, you go somewhere and there's literally 40 guys in, in a small pro class sometimes. Totally. And they kind of get lost in the shuffle. You don't have that megastar aspect that you do. I feel I feel BMX is definitely uh, missing that right now. So I'm, I'm waiting for those days where that guy comes back. And we were even talking a little bit ago about how uh, there needs to be that guy, that superstar. Because once, since Dave passed, that he kind of... There was no one to pass the torch to at that point. And I know we were talking about a couple guys that could have potentially filled that gap, but uh, it's it's definitely sad almost nowadays because it's like Dave was our superstar. Now now we're not – like who who do kids look up to nowadays? And that's also because riding is way more diversified than it was back then. Right. I used to compete in Flatland, Mini Ramp, and Vert. Like, you know, in the I, same weekend. In the same weekend, you know. And if there was a street contest, you did that too. And literally sometimes three or four events, you rode everything, you knew everybody, you know, and you still had your top guys in each one, but everybody just kind of rode together. Now you don't, you know, I, I help with the Florida series, and, yeah, we have street and park, and it's two different groups of guys that are all ride together, and some of them don't even know each other because some ride street, some ride park. Well, I know, speaking of which, you, you do help with a lot of those Florida contests, the, the Florida BMX series now as well, but you didn't always. How did you kind of get involved doing that? Um, put my first contest on by myself, well, technically Lee Ramsdale and I did, in uh, 95 at the Greenville Park, and I've always enjoyed doing it. I always enjoyed just getting everybody together for the comp, not so much for the competition aspect of it, it's more of the brotherhood and having everybody there. 
and again, competing in all the Hoffman BS contest series, the CFBs, uh, the X trials, all these different contests over the years, and seeing contests change and become more of that cutthroat competition rather than the old style of everybody get together and just send it. And having fun. And having fun. Uh, I've been friends with Dave Brumlow since 1992, and he's a great guy, and he's got his heart in BMX. And he started the Florida Series uh, seven years ago, I guess now. And I went down to one of them to hang out uh, a couple of years ago. And just like, this is really cool. It's, uh, it's kind of like the old Hoffman Series where everybody's just going for it, having a good time. The following year, he was needing a new announcer. And uh, I had done some announcing with Rob Nolly. And Brumlow asked Nolly, what do you think about Steve announcing the series? And Rob gave him thumbs up, said, you know, he does a great job. And it was a huge push from rob for me i appreciate that and uh started doing the series rob was the first pro i ever met really yeah back in the day because uh it was down in florida my parents my grandpa used to live in florida down in sarasota and uh there are no real skate parks in sarasota then i know there is a pretty awesome one now but um well i broke my leg there i wouldn't say it's that awesome but well (laughs) it's relative i suppose we'll we'll we'll, uh we'll gray area that (laughs) that right now but but back then, there were no real skate parks. So the closest one from what I, I'm trying to think of exactly where it was, it was Rob's local park. I, ch- I can't remember the name of the town. It wasn't Probably Badlands. Uh, Badlands. That's exactly what it was. So it had those, like, concrete bowls and that almost, like, concrete snake run, kind of, and then a mini ramp and a vert ramp. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a vert ramp. Oh, wow. The first time I'd ever seen one in real life, a full-size vert ramp. So just roll rolling around the corner and seeing that monster i was like i have to roll on that thing just see i was nowhere near i mean because i was still pretty pretty green with bmx i was still pretty brand new to the whole thing so my parents just knew there was a skate park or i even looked it up because back then in bmx plus or whatever it was they had like a list of skate parks every state every skate park in that i remember that so whenever i was traveling with my family i'd just look up the skate park and call them and go check it out but now, but then I remember when I was there riding, Rob showed up, and it was like that guy. He looks like he knows what he's doing, and I go up, and sure enough, he's got like the GT, the whole GT oh, so it shirt. Was GT Rob it was not the Kuhara Rob. It was GT Rob, yeah. So he was already pretty established at that point, and I introduced him, myself to him, and he, I mean, he saw I was still pretty new, so he gave me a couple pointers, and some of those pointers I still do to this day, like how I ride. And he, it's just it's just interesting how impactful. That guy was, and I, I've never been able to cross paths with him again since that first one and only time. And he's probably one of the most approachable guys you'll ever meet, too. And like, totally. If you showed up in Florida and needed a place to stay, there wouldn't be a second hesitation, Rob, but you offering your room. Like, totally. Oh, come over and stay, and we'll sit in the hot tub. You know? Right, right. I mean, that would be strange, just him and I in a hot tub. Be like, hey, I mean, remember? You know. Just reminiscing. You're the first <laughs> pro I met. Nice hot tub, by the way. Now you, you got, got bubbles? Nitschke might be in the backyard in the fire pit all night long as well. So, <laughs> All right. All right. Well, here you go. So I guess uh, I know I know we could kind of divert for all day because you're a story guy, and that's why I love you. Just because I love a good story, and that's and you're full of them. So, but I do kind of want to get back to the Greenville thing a little bit more, just to just kind of see what how it kind of started. Like, I mean, anybody that follows BMX, and admittedly, this podcast is probably just going to be a BMX nerd podcast so the the typical person the average person that doesn't ride bikes is probably not gonna be as stoked on this one but um but i just kind of want to know 
from the insider perspective? Because we've all, some of us, I mean, not we've all, but a lot of us have seen the the, the Greenville uh, video that Losi made and stuff uh, uh, a few years ago about the whole history. We know the history of it, but I kind of want to see and hear an insider's perspective of how the whole Greenville mecca thing just started where where it started and how it just took off like wildfire so when i moved there there was an established bmx scene uh don wygent who still lives there and still rides and he's officially known as scooter don uh don and a guy named sean murphy who still rides he actually is uh up in iowa and uh those two were the main guys they had quarter pipes they were kind of the they were the ones that helped get the greenville park going the original jc park version and uh, they kind of showed me the ropes as far as learning to ride because, I, like I said, I just started when I was moved down there. Uh, Don moved off to Raleigh to go to NC State, and Sean moved off to Iowa. So it kind of left me flying solo. This is around the 91, 92 era. And the skate park that was there, uh, they basically had a bunch of ramps, and then if a ramp got a hole in it, rather than repairing a piece of plywood, they would come into the forklift and just take the entire ramp out and throw it away. So it got down to William had one and ramp. not replace it. Not replace it. Just tear it. And gradually ramp, ramp, ramp just disappeared until all we had was a six-foot, well, almost six-foot uh, steel mini ramp that they had layered in steel. The city layered it in steel and put a giant kink at the bottom of one of the transitions. So that's nice. what I learned to ride on was something that had a smooth side on one side and then a kink side on the other. So it made you learn how to pump really good. So riding by myself every night and then i'd go on the weekends to raleigh and ride with john byers so i had a vert ramp to practice on i'd go down to the havelock and ride with lee and lee and those guys was lee rode everything you know and it was just right. watching amazing to watch him we called him flea because he was little and he bounced around <laughs> and just seeing lee do all the rad tricks and then going and riding with john and seeing the big air and the smoothness so i had that both aspects so you're being you're being you got it from all angles more or less exactly which is pretty cool, even though you weren't. So Greenville hasn't officially started, but you're in the Greenville area. The, I, the yeah, I'm, I'm in Greenville riding by myself every night. I literally would get off work. I had a boombox. I'd put it on the deck of the mini ramp and rage against the machine. This is in 90, uh, 92, 93. Rage against the machine and a couple other tapes. Like that was before CD even. And I just ride until. Hold on, was, there was a time before CD. Before CDs, yeah. And wow. uh, I would uh, ride until dark because there was no lights. I would pack up, and I would head to downtown Greenville, and I would ride street by myself until about midnight. And, again, the street riding is still in its infancy. You know, right. grinds are just street grinds, and things are just coming out, and that's what I was riding down there every night. Right. Uh, the next year, in 94, a guy moved to Greenville that uh, came to school there, and his name's Charles Cardello, and I still ride with him on the regular. He lives in Asheville now. But Charles was a flatlander, and he liked to ride street. So I had somebody to ride with at night. He didn't ride ramps, but he would come out to the skate park and hang out, and then we'd go ride That's a street. game changer, though. Oh, just having somebody to just ride Just having with somebody there. All the time. And he was game to ride all the time, and he liked to do video stuff. So that was even better. We'd shoot video, you know, video footage. Uh, one of his street clips of me riding is actually at the end of that ProTown video in the credits. There's a, I'm doing a feeble to bar out. Really? Yeah, from like 93, and, you know, that's, it was all shot by Charles. Uh, a lot of the footage of Dave uh, riding in the Dorkin videos and stuff was shot by Charles, and then Eaton got the footage from him. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was uh, just somebody having somebody to ride with all the time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I'm having somebody to ride with. 
So I'm trying to think. So you said I'm I'm just trying to remember the timeline. You said this is around early 90, 90s, 93, 90, 94, 93, 94. And that was when I decided I rode the the Hoffman series in 93. And at that time it was mostly vert and mini ramp. Uh, 94 is when they started instituting the street contest with a box jump and things like that. So I, I went to the first contest and then the second one was in um, Kansas City. And John Byers and I drove to that. And my friend Paul Murray drove with us, too. And Paul actually drove out there, built the vert ramp, and then he went to work for Hoffman Bikes after that. So was this around the Ride On era, like the yep. Eddie Roman uh, Ride On Ride video? On came out in 92. Okay. And, uh, so this is that era. That era, yeah. yep. Okay. So right there, Ride On came out right when they, the first year they started doing the Hoffman concert. That's in 92. So 93 is when I started competing in the beginner, soon-to-be class. 94, the box jump comes into play. Not having a box jump, uh, I enlisted John Byers to help me build one. He was the king of transitions. And, <laughs> All right. Uh, John would actually go to the king of vert contest with a level to check the ramp to make sure it was level. Like so he that's was, where Dennis got it. That was where Dennis got it from, from John. John was a perfectionist with that stuff. So John came down, helped me build a box jump. We built it at my garage. I worked at a car shop. We built it there, and I moved it in sections out to the park and put it up like just brought a ramp out to the park and set it up and started learning trying to jump and I had it out there about a month. I was trying to learn three sixties and I just crashed and destroyed my right foot. And I still have issues with it to this day. This is in June of ninety four. So uh, did you break it then? Uh, I found out two years ago that I did break it. Um, I broke my foot clean in two and I didn't even realize it until I had an X ray done two years ago when I broke my leg and the doctor was like you broke your foot before. And I'm like, no, no. He goes, yeah, look, you broke it all the way across. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was in 94. He's like, it healed perfect. Okay, cool. <laughs> Don't you love when a plan <laughs> yeah, comes together? But uh, I was hurt for about six weeks. I was really sore. And I just started pedaling around a little bit. And I, uh, I remember I had an S&M Holmes, put a headset in it. And I'm out there at the skate park kind of rolling around by myself. And this dude walks up. And he's like, uh, hey, you ride? Yeah, I ride. And he's like, yeah, I ride too. Maybe you know my brother, Dave Mira. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, you know, like we're discussing, there's only like eight or ten pros in the world. There's no there's no X Games. Nothing's on TV. So no one in the world knows who Dave Mira is unless you're a BMX rider. And I, and I looked at him, and then they kind of, the look kind of like hit me, and I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I, I know your brother, you know. And he's like, yeah, I ride too. I just moved to Greenville. And he literally moved there 100 yards from the skate park. He got an apartment with and his And those girlfriend. apartments across the street from J.C. Right across the street. So he walked over there. He didn't have his bike with him. He's like, yeah, my bike's back in New York. i got to go back up there in a couple weeks. I'll bring it back. All right, cool. So history people will know in the fall of 93, Dave was hit by a car. And basically was told he'll never ride a bicycle again. And he sat around and recouped and stuff. So basically from November 93... Through the summer of 94, Dave didn't really ride. He was just kind of chilling. Right. And then Tim moves down there and tells Dave, hey, I'm in North Carolina, and there's a skate park in my backyard. Come down and visit. Tim tells me, yeah, Dave might come down and hang out. And I'm, like, freaking out, like, oh, no way, you know. Now, to preface that a little bit, in 92, we were talking about meeting first pros. Uh, John Byers took me to Florida to at Christmas time to hang out with his family and do some riding. We're getting a little crazy in here. Well, uh, while we were down there, that was the first time I met Brumlow. We went to Brumlow's vert ramp, 
And sitting at the base of Brumlow's vert ramp, wearing a hoodie, extremely hungover, was one Jay Muron. No way. Who was in town to visit his uh, sister for the holidays. So here I got to meet Jay Muron. The next day we rode Badlands with Jay. Uh, this is right at the time when he got on Hoffman bikes, December of 93. But he was still riding his GT because he hadn't got his uh, Hoffman frame yet. And Jay was super cool. I met him again at my first Hoffman contest in Arizona two months later with John again. And then the next contest was in Shimerville, Pennsylvania. Oh, crazy. Okay, so that's April of 93. And at that contest, I'm again, I'm in the beginner class. The, the first contest in Arizona, I got 11th out of 12 guys in beginner. That's, <laughs> I flew all the way to Arizona to get next to last. The next contest, I'm still beginner. There's like 45 guys in the amateur class, and soon to be beginner. And I get a flat tire. I fix the flat, and I'm looking for a pump. And here's Dave Mira sitting over there working on his bike. And I walked over and said, you know, friendly. I said, hey, man, do you know if there's a pump laying around here? And he totally blows me off. He's like, nah, ah, ah, ah. You know, just like, just shoots me down. They just does not want to discuss anything with me. And I was like, oh, okay. So I turn around, and here comes his Hoffman Bikes teammate, Jay Miron. And I was like, oh, hey, Jay. And Jay recognized me. He said, hey, hey man, uh, you know if there's a pump around here anywhere? Uh, yeah, the uh, team pump uh, right here. And he picks up a pump literally at Dave's knee. <laughs> okay. So he hands it to me, and I'm at that point, I'm like, I don't know if we're supposed to cuss or not, but uh, I'm kind of like, F Dave Mira. I'm a Jay Miron fan. <laughs> so that's 93. So fast forward a year, Dave shows up in Greenville. He was only 20. I took him to buy beer because he wasn't old enough, and I told him that story. I said, you know, I've been pulling for Muron for the past year and a half, hoping he'd beat you at every contest because I didn't like you. Trying to send send bad juju his way at every contest so Muron could take right. it. Right. So th- Dave remembered that forever because fast forward a couple of years to the X Games Street Contest. The first street one was in 96. Right. And they would shoot the contest during the day and then televise it that night. So it was pre-recorded. Well, I'm sitting in Dave's apartment with his brother. We're watching X Games, and we're all excited. There's no internet. There's no text messaging. You have no idea what happened. ESPN pops on. We're like, all right, this is it. And the phone rings. Tim answers it. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah. Noak? Yeah, yeah, he's here. Hands me the phone. It's Dave. He's like, hey. I'm like, hey, man, I beat your boy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, I beat Miron. And I was like, you son of a bitch. We're, we're getting ready to watch. You just spoiled it for us. you know. <laughs> but he was so excited that he beat Jay that he had to call and tell me that he beat him. As it's, be, as it's coming on. As it's coming on, on TV, just to rub it in. Awesome. A couple years later, I was in Michigan visiting my parents and uh, hear on the radio that the Schwinn team is doing a show at the bike shop there. It's about a half hour away, so I drive over there and I walk in the shop and Mel Cody's Standard. He's Noak, you know, hey, what's up? And he's like, Beast, look who's here, you know. So Miron and Mel is one of my uh, uh, counselors at Woodward. Awesome. Mel's Probably a great 96 guy. or 7. Probably 7. So this is 98, and it's the Schwinn show consisting of Andrew Ferris, Jay Miron, Dave Asato, and Joey Garcia. What with, a bunch with, of monsters. With with Mel announcing. At this random bicycle shop in the outside outskirts of Detroit, Michigan, in a, in a strip mall. Wow. So... I rode for Eastern at the time, and Jay and John grew up good friends, and uh, Jay actually was super cool. Like, before the show, he let me ride, and he announced, you know, guest rider from Eastern and stuff, and uh, I was like, cool, you know, so I kind of cranked around a bit. The show starts up, and 
you would have thought it was the finals of the X Games with Miron riding. And he laid everything out. I mean, he did no hand and no footed flip, probably 10 feet over the box. Tried a flare about seven feet out of the quarter. Did all this stuff. And Asado and I are sitting on the side. And I'm just like, wow, you know. I, and Asado looks at me. He goes, he never rides like this in a show, you know. And it, basically he was riding to show me so because he knew I was going to go back and see Dave. And I would tell <laughs> Dave, dude, Miron's killing it. Like, <laughs> You'd be able to step up your game. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was all a total ploy. He knew that I was going to ride with Dave in a week. And that I would tell Dave everything I saw. So. Don't you love how things are back then? Because I, I, I have similar stories from some of the vert riders from, uh, like from Woodward. Just all the vert riders, or a lot of the vert riders, they would just they would ride separately, so they they didn't have to show off their new trick, their new move, their new stunt. But you know, they know if they do it in front of some of us that were living there, or living at camp, or riding at camp, or whatever. Uh, they would be, we would kind of spread the buzz about, oh, he's trying this, and then everyone would have to step up their game, and it was kind of, it's kind of funny how that was always a thing. No matter where people lived, just the word would spread. And that was complete opposite in Greenville because we're ri- everybody's all riding together riding every together, day, right? Nothing to hide, and it was a matter of, dude, try this, try that. The foofanoo behind the rail on the sub box. The first time Dave did that. We were sitting there, and he's like, I wonder if I could foof that rail. I was like, I'll buy you a steak dinner if you get it in three tries. He pulled it second try. Awesome. So I had to buy him a steak dinner. A couple months later, my buddy Paul built an eight-foot portable quarter pipe, brought it to the park, set it up in the parking lot, and uh, looks at me, and we had all taken our pads off. We're all sitting out there, and Dave looks at me and says, I'll give you $10 if you boob get that quarter pipe right now. No pads. I'm like, all right. Did it. Pulled it. Perfect. He was pissed. He didn't like losing money. You know? I'll bet. So, like, just stuff like that would happen. It wasn't a matter of anybody hiding stuff. We were just doing everything together the whole time. Right. Just having fun, having a blast, just kind of riding together and vibing off each other, which is awesome. That's the way it should be. That's the reason a lot of us got into BMX was because of the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff, um, which I I mean, I, I still feel that nowadays. Like, I, I came and rode with you at Marsh Creek at the skate park down the road here in North Carolina, and... I think we took, what, a hand, maybe 10 runs? We just talked the rest of the time. Oh, yeah. We got to catch up. <laughs> we got to catch up. That's right. So I feel that's that's what BMX is for me, and I'm sure it is for a lot of people, too. But, um, but yeah, it's funny how that's just the same. It's That's universal, basically. That's kind of what makes BMX BMX. Because I tell people all the time, in mainstream sports, you wouldn't be able to travel to other countries, meet somebody that plays basketball, and then invite you to their house to live or stay for days just out of nowhere as a stranger but in bmx i've had that happen in germany or wherever where people just like oh you ride bmx come stay with us i haven't been fortunate enough to travel the world but i have friends all over the world and it's because they would all come to north carolina i didn't have to go anywhere right the had, network comes I had to a you house of australians at one time you right know, like uh, colin mckay was my roommate and kim grosser came and stayed with him so i had two top australian riders living with me you know and uh, english guys and germans and and our house was, Marty Stansel and I had a house on the backside of J.C. Park. Uh, no, no. So we literally had people just show up, and we didn't have a key to the front door. That was kind of like a flop house for BMXers. You know, if you showed up in town, you were more than welcome to crash. Just don't screw anything up. And people slept in the yard or, you know, in the backyard or in the house. And, you know, it was just, I, I had a wall there of all the people that had been there. It would be kind of cool. And Did I never, they sign it? No, I didn't never do anything. I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. You know, I was just like, oh, it's my friends at Ride, you know. I mean, right. I had rooftop over for a barbecue one day, you know, like just weird stuff of people that came into town and, and were just hanging out there. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I had something along those lines too, which I never did. But we have the stories to tell. But it would be cool to have like some sort of memento like that because I was never a fan of like getting autographs. Even when I was little, I was just like, "What am I going to do with their their name right. uh, written on a piece of paper that's going to be stuffed in a drawer someday forever until I eventually decide to throw it away?" So it was just never a thing for me. But if I had something like that, like a wall or or in my shed or something like that, that would have been cool. I had a shed, too, and uh, that was the smoke room for the guys from uh, Colorado, the pusher crew. When they came out, they had a place to smoke where it wouldn't mess the house up. So Troy, a- Troy McMurray spent many an hour in that shed. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to hear Troy McMurray stories. He's He used to be he used to be the man for me back in the day. I used to love that dude. I'll do you one quick pusher story. They all came to uh, and Greenville. And so it begins. Oh, one quick one. They all showed up to Greenville uh, really early in the morning. They drove all night long. And Dave and I went to the skate park that day. We're riding. And I said, well, what are you up to tonight? He said, I don't know yet. I said, well, I got all the pusher guys at my house. Dave said, oh, man, I don't know. Those guys are they are bad news. I, I better not. I don't know what I'm going to do. So we part ways. I go back to the house. They're all waking up. And they're like, well, let's go out tonight. All right. Well, where's Mira? And Mira said he didn't want to hang out with you guys. You're bad news. Where's he at? I'm like, I know where he's at. So there's this Wild Wings place in downtown Greenville. And. Dave had a crew of people he hung out with that were non-BMX that were like frat boys and stuff like that. They all kind of just kissed his ass. So we walk in that joint, and he's in there with a couple of those dudes, and he saw us, and eyes about popped out of his head. And uh, basically shuffled us out of there, decided to leave so we wouldn't make a scene in front of his frat friends. So we dipped out of there, and we ended up at the only strip club in Greenville. It was called The Body Shop. And we had a pretty big crew, and we were there maybe 30 minutes before we got kicked out. And I remember we piled, I had a Geo Metro, and I had Lee Ramsdale and like five of the pusher guys in there in a little Geo Metro, all wrestling and fighting and everything. And I didn't drink, so I was the designated driver all the time. So we got back to the house. Next day we rode all day. And at the end of the day, Dave says, I got to go. I'm doing uh, Talk of the Town. It's a little local radio show that they have in Greenville. And they had Dave on there as a guest, guest star. So we get back to the house, and uh, they're like, where's Mira at? You know, I'm like, he's actually doing a radio show right now. So let's turn it on. So we're listening to the radio show, and they're interviewing Dave. And they're like, don't forget, we're, broad- we're simulcast on cable channel 13 or something. So we flipped TV on, so now we're watching the interview on the cable channel. And they interviewed him, and they said, all right, we're going to get a couple questions right now. If you've got any questions for Dave, call in. Duncan Gore grabs the phone and calls in. I love this already. And they're like, what do you want to ask Dave? And he's like, uh, I just want to ask Dave about like how much money he makes off the contest and that. Well, we've, we've already covered that. You know, So the radio screener basically cuts Duncan off and hangs up on him. So then I said, throw me the phone. Now, anybody who knows Duncan Gore, he's always got a video camera in his hand. So we didn't, I didn't even think to put the VCR on. Duncan's recording the television with his camera pointing at the TV. So he throws me the phone. I called in, and they said, uh, what do you want to ask Dave? I said, I'd like to ask uh, Dave about his involvement in the J.C. Park and uh, the, the new construction of it and if he had any input. Oh, great question. Hold on one sec. What's your name? Mike. All right, great. And we got Mike coming up next with a question about the J.C. Park. At this time, I throw the phone back to Duncan, and we're watching Dave's face on there, and all of a sudden you hear, hey, Dave, it's Duncan. And Dave's face goes ghost blank. I mean, just all the color goes out of it, and he's just got this stare. He's like, I just want to ask you about getting thrown out of the body shop last night. Now, this is a Greenville show, and there's only one strip club in Greenville, so everybody knows the name of it. And Dave, like, 
instantly. Now, this is like this family show, and Dave's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was driving by there last night. I thought I saw you guys in the parking lot. He tries to, like, play off. You know, he wasn't with us, and just totally turned around. And then they, like, cut Duncan right off as soon as he said body shot. They sh- but the, the footage is out there somewhere. Duncan's got it on a tape of Dave's face just losing all color and going blank when he's, Dave, it's Duncan. And you just knew it right then. It was on. So <laughs> I love that story so much. And... That's only the first of many uh, Mira stories I'm going to pull out of you today. That's that's awesome. So, so I guess kind of jumping ahead a little bit now that we kind of got went through the timeline of of uh, Tim coming and introducing himself to the skate park. The skate park is kind of being more established. Dave is obviously after his accident moved to town after he came and visited his brother, saw the skate park, and just kind of became a transplant more or less right oh I mean, the first time he showed up um were you there the first time he showed up at the park yeah we were uh riding the park and looked across the parking lot and tim his girlfriend and this little fat kid doing a wheelie across the parking lot no footed and i looked at charles and i was like dude i think that's dave mira sure as heck he rolled in there and it was dave he got his pads rode with us that night uh i introduced him to the female talent in greenville because East Carolina University has a lot of girls. So introduced him to the female talent, uh, got him some beer, and I think he was hooked at that point. He came to visit one more time. That was a good one, too, because I took him street riding that next time. And him not having rode any street, just been sitting around, we rode for about three hours, and the next day he couldn't move his arms. I asked him to go ride again. He's like, I can't move my arms, dude. Like he, I wore him out in just a, a short session. Awesome. And then uh, a couple months later is when he packed up and moved down, and it was on from there. It was on from there. So I guess that brings us to Dave is there. So at that point, was Dave, who else lived in the Gre- in Greenville at that point? Was he basically the first, and then he brought everyone else from there, or were there already a couple people So at this Dave point? moved in spring of 95, and that was one of the first contests I put on as well. And we wanted to uh, do a JC Park contest, so we had... But right before Dave came, I built a spine and a sub box so that when he showed up, I had a couple more ramps to kind of keep him enticed. He moved down, and I said, well, we all decided we needed a bigger quarter pipe. So I bought uh, all the wood for the quarter, took it out to the park, and I bought a brand-new circular saw. And I told Dave, cut the wood. I get off work. We'll build the quarter pipe. And I get off work, come out there, and there's nothing done. Now, Dave has nothing to do all day. He's sitting in his apartment. So I go over there, and I'm like, dude, why didn't you get anything done? Oh, that saw you bought's a piece of shit. And I'm like, dude, it's a brand new Craftsman circular saw. Like, what do you mean? I, I, I got a good one, you know? It won't cut anything. It sucks. So I pick it up, and I was like, was the blade on the saw when you took it out of the box? No, I, I put it on. Well, you put it on backwards. <laughs> so that's why nothing got built. But we flipped the, the blade around, and two days later, we had an 8-foot quarter pipe, 16-foot wide, which that changed all the game as far as the flow of the park and you know, being able to go big and do fives and, and Dave doing his flares. And, yeah, that's where the flare got taken to the whole new level was off that eight-foot quarter pipe. That's awesome. That is that is pretty cool. So, so we really just had – it was me, Dave, Tim, uh, this younger kid, uh, Chris Shelkoff, started riding with us, who was uh, great. I still talk to Chris all the time. He lives in California now. He's killing it, still riding. But that was basically the core of us and Charles was my buddy. Like, And Charles was starting to videotape everything because he's got – Dave Mira to film, so like you know, every day. Easy. Yeah, and d- this is at the point when Dave went from not being hurt to starting to learn all this stuff that, and nobody has any idea he's doing it, you know. And we're getting to witness it firsthand. So Charles recording everything it worked out perfect. 
So uh, pretty, can I assume that all that footage that you see of Dave from way back in the day is probably this guy's yeah, footage? shot by Charles. Yeah. Okay. So uh, shout out to Bifocal Media. Charles does a uh, rad T-shirt company that sells uh, punk rock band shirts, and they actually do like a Matt Hoffman tribute shirt, some other stuff too. So, but uh, it was the core of us. Uh, my brother still skated, and he was friends with a kid that had a mini ramp that was still in high school, and his name was Mike Mancuso. So I went out to check his mini ramp out and rode with him, and he was wearing a pair of uh, Bermuda shorts and riding a uh, a 12-inch wheeled scooter. And I made him get a BMX, and then Mike became one of the riders in town. Uh, there's a lot of good Mancuso stories, some of which aren't probably still get him in trouble. I don't think his uh, statute of limitations has run out on him. I'm sure. Uh and then, lo and behold, we're on the ramp one day, and this kid shows up on a mountain bike in the parking lot watching us, starts talking to us a little bit, and we're like, dude, why don't you get a BMX bike? Come ride with us. He did, and that was Josh Harrington. So Josh started riding the park with us. These guys, uh, skaters, had a mini ramp right by campus, and I would take Josh over there, and I actually taught Josh how to do peg grinds and ice picks and everything on that little six-foot mini ramp. Uh, and that was pretty much our main crew right there. Uh we, at that time, also would go from Greenville up to Hampton, Virginia, which is about a two-hour and 20-minute drive, and ride with Mike Laird. They had a really good park there in their whole scene. So one weekend, we'd go to Hampton. The next weekend, the Hampton guys would come to Greenville. And that happened for a couple of years until they took out the Hampton Park, and then Laird packed up and moved to Greenville permanently. So that was a cool thing for that. But we, it was fun just to be able to get out of town and ride some different stuff. And they had a really good vert ramp in Hampton, so we've got a, got a little flow of everything. Since you brought up Laird, I'm going to uh, tell you something that he told me to ask you. And I don't know if this is going to get you or him or me in trouble, but he said make sure to ask you about road trip shenanigans and asking for gas money and stuff like that. He said that you were always the king of asking for gas money before the trip even started. Well, because I don't want to get screwed on gas. I get it. And I and literally, I drove everywhere. That little Geo Metro I had, I bought it brand new, and in five years, put one hundred and thirty some thousand miles on it, and it blew up. So I mean, like, that's a heck of a, that's a heck of a lot of road trips. I would it's assume a three cylinder car, you know, and it wasn't from Greenville. Everything in Greenville's within five minutes, so the mileage came from road trips. Oh, for sure. Well, that's I mean, and I'm sure those road trips weren't just you; they were loaded with people. And um, bikes and pads and just the entire thing. So yeah. that thing was probably freighted doing wheelies down the road. In a, in a four-door Geo Metro, loaded up. The best part about the Geos, uh, Hal Brindley from Play Clothing had one as well. In 94, Hal and I flew to California for the Hoffman Comp. I had reserved a car because we were both under 25. Get to the uh, airport in Ontario, California, right before midnight. It's about to close. And the guy's like, I'm out of cars. I'm like, oh, dude, man, it's my first time in Cali. I had a car reserved. He's like, oh, I think my buddy over here has got a car. They might build it. The guy worked at the other rental car place. So we go over there, and the guy's like, yeah, I got one car I can range you. It's a Geo Metro. And Hal and I looked at each other. I'm like, dude, we both drive Geos in North Carolina. Do you have anything else? So he upgraded us into a prism. So, wow. Oh, Step, yeah. Stepped it up. Stepped it up for the whole week in Cali. <laughs> but, yeah, I would get gas money from everybody. Like, you know, I mean, I'm driving everywhere. I'm like, screw it. So I'd put an envelope out and be like, okay. I'm king of planning. Like, I know how to plan a trip where we're not getting there and not having a place to stay. Like, I would set places to stay. I knew where we were going, how much it was going to cost. I put an envelope out, or everybody chip in, we'd pay for the gas out of the envelope. So, that, see, to me, that makes perfect sense. But M- Mike made me think, like, there's some crazy epic stories. Like, yeah, that, that tight, yeah, tight ass, like, <laughs> asking for money. And I'm like, 
yeah, all right, it sounds pretty straightforward, but I'll ask him. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what's funny is Laird really didn't trip with us in the car that much a couple times maybe, and I, like, I'm trying to think of where I, I went a long trip with him where he would have got gas money, maybe a Florida trip or something, but like all the other Greenville guys, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not chauffeuring everybody around for free. You know, if I'm paying for the car and the that, they can pay for the gas. I get it. I was, I was always, I was the first one from my crew that got my license. So I was the, I was the one that always had the car. But whenever I would ask for money, they'd always give me a hard time and things like that. And the same thing. It's like you want me to drive you around for free. Well, Laird had some beater ass old truck. I wasn't about to go anywhere with him. <laughs> I wouldn't trust that thing around town, I guess. All right. Yeah, I, that's fair enough. So, okay, well, I got your side of the story. So maybe one of these days I'll talk to Mike and he can he can have a rebut. He might have a specific one where I was, like, trying to get money out of somebody or something. But either that or he's got me mixed up with Mancuso, the king of cheapskates. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, there's uh, there's room there's room for error all, all over the place, I'm sure. But uh, So, okay, so now we're, we're kind of a little bit more up to date. And you know I'm a I'm a story guy, so uh, so I guess I'm not saying we we are anywhere near the end. I just want to kind of just pack the rest of the time we have with a few stories, a few good stories, because we got the history part more or less caught up to where where we need to be. So whether it's Mira, like what are some of the more memorable stories from for you growing up in that era and just being part of that entire thing from the beginning? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are too many to count. Every weekend was something, some other adventure. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure. we always had some stuff going on. A good one I can tell. Some of them I can't tell. I don't know if I'm obligated legally or not. But uh, <laughs> there was a Tim and I were out at the, one of the many nightclubs in downtown Greenville and bumped into one of my ex girlfriends, and she also had a friend, her roommate. I'm gonna leave him nameless at this point, but. Her roommate, we, we used to call her the Super 7 because she ended up having relations with seven different BMXers. Both of the Miras, Tim and Dave. Uh, amongst, Fantastic. Amongst some other uh, big-name guys at the time. But uh, we bumped into them at this one of the clubs, and these uh, Asian guys were standing on, like, a platform behind them. And they were, like, you know, trying to, like, hit on them and stuff and making the girls feel uncomfortable. So they used to have Penny Draft at this bar. You paid a penny, you got a big cup of beer. So Tim's drinking his penny draft, and I'm like, these guys are, like, trying to pimp on him. And I said, hey, Tim, hold that cup out a second. So Tim holds the cup out in front of him, and I just, from the bottom, I smack the cup, and it just throws beer all over these Chinese guys. <laughs> and, then, and there's, like, three of them, and, and I'm, like, six foot tall, I'm not, but I'm not a fighter, but I learned from Asado. Obviously, you're an instigator, though. Well, yeah, but I also learned from Asado, sometimes you just got to look the part. And it's also the Fonzarelli. I don't know if you know about Arthur Fonzarelli from Happy Days. I've, I've heard about him okay. in the old dictionaries. Well, Fonzie wore a black leather jacket. He was a biker. And in all the episodes of Happy Days, he never threw a punch. But he looked mean and tough, and nobody messed with him because he was the Fonz. So if you damn step up and look the part, usually you won't get in a fight. Right. So I'd throw beer all these Chinese guys, and I just kind of stood there like, yeah, what are you going to do, you know? And they didn't do anything. So a couple weeks later, we're actually having a contest in Greenville. And we all go out Friday night, and I knew I had to get up early, so about one or so, I dipped out of the club. Left Tim and Dave and some other people there. Well, about 1.30, the three Chinese guys show up, along with four other Chinese guys, and they see Tim. And the next thing you know, melee ensues, and there's a big bar fight, and these Chinese guys jump Dave and Tim and beat the tar out of them. And, oh and I kind of felt like I had no idea they were coming. It wasn't like I slid out or anything. I was like, hey, I got to go. You know, I'm out of here. 
So they get the crap beat out of them, and uh, that was that. About three or four years later, uh, I took my now ex-wife. We go to the Japanese restaurant in Greenville, and, you know, the guys cook there for you, and we're sitting there, and the guy's cooking. Oh, what do what you do? Uh, I ride BMX, you know. Oh, you know Dave Mira? I mean, we're in Greenville. I mean, like, you know, it's like everybody says that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know Dave. He's like, I kick his ass one time in club. <laughs> and it was the same dudes. Like, the dude that I had thrown the beer on was there cooking my food for me. And he didn't remember me, but he remembered beating Dave up. So and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. You, know, like, you wait until he's done cooking to yeah, hands I, your food. To the like, time oh, I was the one that threw the beer, I started all that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you never you won't, never want to give him that ammo before he's done. Nah, cooking. not not before. No, you never know what kind of sauce he's going to add into it. It was you know be crazy because downtown Greenville, we had the BMX guys and there was a um, a pizza place called Bowley's on the corner and it had a big corner window with a giant booth that could seat like 10, 12 people. And my roommate Jamie was the manager at that uh, pizza place. All the BMXers, everybody ate for free. The only thing he had to pay for was alcohol, and he took care of us every night. And we would. Ride all day, and it wasn't like, what are we doing tonight? It was, I'll see you at Bullies at such and such a time. And everybody just met up there. We went to that table, and everybody that would be walking by, all the girls from the college, and he just bang on the window, and girls would come in and hang out. And, you know, that was like our table. We're in a rolling dice, like, you know, like, got games of CeeLo going right in the middle of this packed-ass bar. They had Dave's bike hanging over the table. We had, you know, like, we had a Haro up over the table, posters on the wall. Everybody knew us in there. You know, nobody messed with us. I was like, that's the BMX guys. Right. And we were there one night when uh, the action figures first came out. And the oh best part gosh. was Dave had the – or somebody showed up and they brought the Dave and the Ryan action figures. And the next thing I remember was Dave had had a couple drinks and he was perform, – perform, his action figure was performing sexual acts on the Ryan Nyquist action figure <laughs> in the middle of the table. Too pretty loud too. Like Dave wasn't being quiet about it. It was it was pretty Ryan, look at that and he was laying into the Ryan Nyquist dolls. So. Where was that deleted scene during Miracle Boy? Oh and yeah, we, we needed that in there. That would have been a good one. Uh, but you know, like little things like that were always just fun things to, to witness. You know, oh, I bet. I bet. The, I mean, the stories have to be endless from that from that time uh, time and, period. And again, people started to know us, so you really couldn't get away with stuff because people would know it was the BMX guys. But at the same time, you know, it's easier to pinpoint you guys. It, yeah, you know, we kind of stuck out. You know, we didn't look like the rest of the college kids, and but we weren't trying to hide anything. Either. We were having a good time, and it never got out of hand. You know, but. Then there would be these times that people didn't recognize Dave, and it would cause an issue. Uh, actually, he hadn't become superstar yet, but he had been to France and was doing a demo over in France and got back late on a Sunday night. Well, his birthday had occurred while he's in France. So he gets up the next morning, he goes to cash the check from the demos, and he's got to run some errands and stuff. Well, his tags expired on his car. So he's coming up the street, and lo and behold, he gets pulled over by a cop. And Dave's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I was in, I was in France, and I, I'm and the cops looking at him like, yeah, you were in France, right? Whatever. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to get my stuff done. He's like, well, you're not driving this car. And boy, Dave got just furious. Now, where this happens is probably 100 yards from my house. So this is a Monday morning. I'm sitting there. Well, this is uh, I took like six months sabbatical from actually having a job and was doing just shows with Eastern and stuff. So it was Monday morning. I've got nothing going on. I'm sitting in the living room, knock on the door, and Dave's standing there, and I'm like hell's he doing i'm like what's up man he's like dude this cop pulls me over he ain't let me drive my car need you help me push my car and i'm like all right just chill out you know so him and i walk out of the door and we're walking down the street to the car i'm like so what's going on he's like my tag's expired he won't let me drive the car 
or no, his driver, I'm sorry, his driver's license is expired. Not his tag, but his license is expired. And so we're walking to the car, and I was like, so wait, are the tags good on your car? And he's like, well, yeah, those are good. It's my license. I was like, well, I'm not going to push the car. I'm going to drive it. Like, I, my license is good. I can drive the damn car. <laughs> but that had never crossed his mind. He just knew that if his license was expired, we had to push the car, you know? And I'm like, we're not pushing the car. I'm going to drive the car. So I drove the car, and then Nyquist came over and picked him up. They went and got his license done, and then they went to the magistrate's office. The magistrate threw it right out, like, you know, figured, you know. That's it was, funny. It was Dave, so it was always I, good. I know, I know over, as, as time went on, between Dave and Ryan, they were, they might as well have been royalty in that town. Like, if you go to just about any restaurant that either of those had ever been to, there's a poster of them on the wall. Or I know, uh, what was it? Um, Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's had, was it Ryan's? Like uh, had, jersey on the wall. They had Ryan's jersey, a Dave's poster over the register. Dave ate there almost every day, and they had all this stuff in there, and they never gave him a discount. Really? Oh yeah. I was like, I didn't eat the jersey mics, but uh, I'd go in there and hang out with them and stuff. I'm like, they don't give you any discount. No, no, I just like the food here. You know. All right. Well, hey, whatever it takes, I guess. Yeah. Give them extra service, but uh, yeah, I know. Even like uh, some of the bars downtown had like. That Mira poster on the wall. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Mira poster is still there on 519. Probably at 519, yeah. That was, I mean, a, that was their their spot. Yeah. But, it, but it, is, it is crazy just being in that town with those guys and just seeing how they are treated by anyone and everyone. They the, they really ha- they could do no wrong at that point. The best of the 519 was uh, Kent, uh, Kent George from Colorado. He used to do 20-inch video magazine. Good friend of mine. Kent flew into Atlanta. We drove up to Greenville. Hang out with everybody, and uh, D- and me, Kent, and Dave went to five nineteen. Just three of us sitting there. Those guys are drinking pretty good, and this group of college girls walks in, walks up, and they're like, oh, "You're Dave Mira from Road Fools or from uh, Road Rules." Oh, oh my gosh. god! And they like freaking out that he's. And I'm like, he walks by, and I'm like, "How funny is that? You're you're Dave Mira, and they're all they know is because you're on the MTV thing." He's like, "Dude, that's like that all the time now." Like. That was so huge in his career of putting him out in the spotlight. And it's kind of the same way for TJ now. I love TJ. He's the greatest. And, and it's just he's known as the guy on that. That you know, right. Most of the people watching MTV have no clue that he was an amazing or still is an amazing BMX rider. You know? I, think, I think we in, in this little bubble of BMX kind of forget that it is just a small bubble in the, in the grand scheme of things. But MTV is this giant monster of a network right? where it gets him out to so many millions of people. And we're like, wait a minute, you did all these contests for how long and they're doing that? No one sees those contests other than us. Like right. there's a small handful of people that remember those contests. But MTV is what really brings into the masses. But um, So I think we are trying – and I, I know we could go on and on and on, but we are getting up closer to an hour. So if you – I'm not trying to, to put the spotlight on you or anything like that, but if there is one – favorite time one favorite story i know you've kind of gone through quite a few already hopefully hopefully you've had enough heads up with this whole podcasting that where you were able to like store up that one story if i ha- if i had story. to pull one out of you ah i mean like whenever any- you think of like the whole crew the whole crew coming together and whether it's riding whether it's hanging out i mean just every session could have been its own story with all the people we had on the deck all the time and just the stories that got talked and, you know, Laird, of course, the main instigator of the, the crap talking on the deck, which was awesome. You know, That I mean? sounds so unlike him, though. And it's it's great now because I take that whole, that way of 
of thinking. These kids now are all key bangers. They're on Facebook pages and they yell at each other on there and then they get to the skate park and they just sit there silent. I get to the skate park, I talk trash. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm the old dude that's in the corner that, you know, is talking junk to everybody right to their face because I don't feel like typing it out. But everything was like that. I mean, just having one story of all of us, every year at uh, New Year's Eve, Dave had a, a, we called it the formal. He had a big party every at year. At his house and we dress up and sport coats and everything and every, it was like our refined night and we did it where we rang in 2000, uh, 2000 the end of 1999 remember we did it at Dave's house and that was always a good time at those and then Ryan Nyquist's 21st birthday party that was a pretty big event we had about 40 or 50 people in Ryan's house Dave was out of town and we decided we're going to cook out well Ryan only had this little grill and Laird and I used to work at a metal fab shop and we made these really nice stainless steel grills that were like $1,500, and Dave had got one at a bit of a discount. Well, Dave's house was only about 10 houses down from Ryan's, and I had an F-150, so Ryan and I drove down to Dave's house, <laughs> stole his grill, brought it back to Ryan's house. I cooked for 40 or 50 people on the grill. We cleaned it up and took it back to Dave's and dropped it back <laughs> off, and he was none the wiser. So that was Did always ever find that no, out? No, we never told him about it. Maybe years later, mm-hmm. but not any time where it would have been a time frame where he just still got upset about it. So awesome. that was always a good time in there, but... You know, just just the camaraderie. Like even as it got bigger and bigger, everybody was still there, hanging out and having good times, uh, having cookouts. You know, one of good cookout was uh, Colin came over, uh, Colin Winkleman, and these guys from Virginia were down. They were kind of like jerks. They're, they're just loudmouth dirt jumper kids. And Colin just got back from Mexico and had some uh, really hot Tabasco sauce or something. And he bet this kid five bucks he couldn't drink a teaspoon of it. And the kid drank it, and he started, like, dry heaving, and then he rubbed his eyes, and his eye inflamed up. And Colin and I just sat in the corner of the kitchen in my house and just watched. And, like, these kids were just, like, crying and freaking out. And, and we just laughed. I mean, it was just everything, every, just every little event like that is it just gets scarred in your memory. And it like, was always oh, something. And always that, something. And that, that's one of my favorite things about story time like, like this is once some story – Every time you tell a story, it kind of reminds you of another story. And then that it just snowballs until... And, and it was just so many people, you know? So like many people. Colin McKay coming in and moving in. And then, you know, the Crandall and the guys coming down to hang out. Like, everybody wanted to come to Greenville. You didn't have to go anywhere. It was always somebody coming to town and some other story was happening at that point, you know? And That's uh, kind of how I feel about being up by Woodward is just... The network comes to you. Same thing, like yeah. The whole, the whole the whole spider web of people from all over the world right. come to your spot. But then you add in the college factor and all the extra alcohol and girls that you don't have so much. Well, I mean, get it to a point at Woodward, but a little different scene here with that. It, it's, so. it's different because State College is 45 minutes away or a half hour away, whereas in Greenville, it's right there. It's all in the same spot, which make, makes for... A lot more fun, but a lot more trouble. So I'll, uh, I'll wind up with one more good mirror story here. This one's, I mean, it is what it is, but it wasn't like, you know, it's public record. So, uh, Crandall I, I guys, like how you just started with that. It's, it's public record now. So uh, Crandall and everybody come to town. We all go out Friday night. I go home about 3.34 in the morning. I get a phone call. This is when we had landline still. And Crandall's on the airline. He's hammered. Hey, come get us. Me and Dave got a fight at Waffle House. We're in jail. <laughs> and I'm like, and they all knew that I didn't drink, so I was a sober guy to call, and I would, you know, I could do that stuff. So I'm like, nah, nah, dude, uh, are you serious? Like, I'm getting ready to get out of bed. What's going on? And he's like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. We're at Dave's. Uh, I don't know. All right, whatever. Hang the phone up. We ride all day on Saturday. Saturday night, uh, 
bunch of people go out, and a girl in Dave's apartment complex was having a late night. So after the bars closed, everybody was going to meet there. So about 1.30, I show up to Dave's apartment. I walk in, and on the couch, completely hammered, is Lee Ramsdale, Colin Winkleman, and Steve Crandall. I walk in, and again, didn't have a cell phone or anything. They're like, dude, where you been? We've been calling you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Check your answer machine. Dave's in jail. Now, this is not even 24 hours from them telling me the night before, Crandall telling me that they were in jail. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. No, no, dude, Dave's in jail. And I'm like, no, no way. Turns out Dave had uh, had a bit to drink and decided to hop in his Mustang to take that girl who was having a late night on a beer run in his hopped-up Mustang going 100 miles an hour and a quarter mile, 100 miles an hour back from the store into the parking space, and then a state trooper detaining him from that point. So spent the better part of the night at the jail getting Dave out, and I was standing there looking through some bars, and Dave was about five or six feet from me, and I'm like, he's on a payphone, and I'm like, Dave, Dave, I'm screaming at the point, I was like, David, and uh, he's got the phone in his hand, and he just turns and looks at me, and he's like, oh, dude, I'm trying to call you. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody knew they'd call me, so got Dave out of jail for that one, so... (laughs) The best was his uh, community service for that was uh, he got 24 hours of community service, which entailed three eight-hour days cleaning the skate park. No way. Yep. So he hung out at the park for three eight-hour days, and then he had a restricted license, and restricted license basically say you can go to your job and back. Well, he's a pro BMX rider, so Harlow sent him an extra bike and parts. He put it in the trunk and just drove around with it, so if he ever got pulled over, he could just say he was on his way to ride. That was his job. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to wrap it up. I mean, we had a, quite a few uh, quite a few stories during this thing. I'm watching your hamburger literally get cold right oh, before yeah. my eyes. It's all good. Uh, this was this was a first doing a, doing a little podcast interview here at. I'm gonna call it Andy's. Yeah, it's uh, always been Andy's to me. It's, so it's always Andy's. It's just that Greenville staple. Even though we are in uh, Raleigh area right now, Andy's is uh, is what it should be and will be. So. Uh, Steve, thanks again for doing this with me. I, I had a lot of fun listening to some of these stories again. I, I know uh, I know you're full of stories all the time, and it's always great hearing some of these. So being able to sit down and kind of record of them, record them was pretty awesome. So wow. now we'll, we'll be able to share them with people that anyone that's interested in hearing. So thanks again for coming on. We appreciate you. Awesome. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Florida BMX series. If you guys want to experience old school style BMX comps that are super fun, come check us out in Florida. Five contest stops. It's a great time. Uh, street, park, we even do flat, dirt, all different kinds of events. And, uh, of course, Shadow Conspiracy and Sabrosa for still supporting the old man. They help me out a lot. Those guys are awesome. Uh, triple P shirts, looking us up with clothes. And one thing we didn't got to really get to, but I've got, like, the best riding buddy now. We grew up, you know, I grew up riding without anybody. Now I've got the best riding buddy, and that's my son. And Indiana is like it's always I got somebody to ride with all the time now, and then it's somebody that doesn't ever turn me down. So that's that a good is thing. super rad. That is awesome. Uh, going back because I know we talked just real quick before we wrap up. I know uh, that you were talking earlier about being good buddies with Ron Bonner mm-hmm. down at. Uh, I I was just about to say UGP, even though UGP's been defunct for how many years? But I was I meant to tell you earlier, but it didn't come up. But um, I was part of the build crew for the last UGP Roots contest. That would have been uh, at Easter time in uh, 2005? Probably, I would say two or three. Oh, was it, that, was it that much earlier? Okay. I was trying to think of which one I... Because I was there. I didn't compete. 
It was the one where Morgan bonked his peg off that rafter beam. Right. And Ry- Nyquist was there. Like a lot of, there was a lot of pro it was a heavy. There, so. It was a heavy crew. Yeah, we went to that one and uh, I took some guys from Greenville, one of them being an old school rider that, you know, I don't, I, when I moved to Atlanta, I didn't walk around and be like, I'm, I know Dave Mira. I know Ryan Nyquist. You know, it, just, it would come up that I came from Greenville. This one guy went with us to that contest, and he knew that I knew Ryan. And we bumped into Ryan, and we're talking, and uh, we had adopted a dog, and it was dying. And it wasn't my main dog. I had a small dog named Mo that Ryan had known since Mo was a little puppy. And Ryan's like, are you going to ride? And I said, no, man, i got to get back home. Uh, dog's dying. And Ryan gets a look at his face. He's like, not Mo. I'm like, no, 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 it's this other dog. He's like, oh, okay. And we leave the contest, and that guy, Sean's like, we're driving away. He goes, I knew you knew Ryan Nyquist. But you really know, he, he knows your dog. And I'm like, yeah, man, like, we're all friends, you know, like, and that's the way it was. I didn't ever think of it like that, you know. Right. And it was just, they're good guys. And they're, they're good guys. And that's, that's what it all, that's all it all is. I mean, obviously, coming up as a y- young kid, I was starstruck for a while, but the more you get to know people, they're just dudes. They're just, they're just guys. And, and then you kind of got to think of it, even like big time actors and stuff like that. The most famous people in the world, they're just people. They might just have more people that know them and might have more opportunities than other people to do some crazy things and have crazier stories, but they're just dudes. But I I tell my son this as a confidence thing. I said, you can walk into any, your school in any room and look around and you're the only kid in there that can ride a bike in a skate park and do the stuff you do at 13. Right. That's, that's a confidence thing. And I tell him, you know, just remember that you've got a skill. You don't have to rub it in anybody, but you know something that majority of other people can't do, and that right. makes you that sets you apart from them, and that gives you confidence. That makes so. you special, exactly, totally. I think we just stepped up our game. I thought we were having a good time with story time, and you just dropped some wisdom on us and knowledge. And I think that's great. So and I'll be forty-eight in a couple of weeks. I've, I've accomplished a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. That's well, Steve. Once again, thank you very much uh, for for doing this with us. I had a lot of fun, and thank you guys for checking in to another episode of the podcast. Like I always say, you keep listening. We'll keep cranking them out. We'll see you next time.